Let's go ahead and look in Luke chapter 15 and, be, and read beginning in verse 11. Luke 15, 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, this morning we want to bow before you as the all-powerful, all-knowing, completely holy, purely just God who is also a loving Father. Lord, we see your love displayed in this text and we ask that you would cause it to sink down not only into our minds but into our hearts. That we would come to understand your love for sinners like us. Father, this morning I'm sure there are people in this room who 
sense that they are sinners. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your love and enable them to apprehend it by faith. And there are probably some here this morning who don't think that they're sinners. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out your love in their case too and show them their need of your grace. Lord, that's what we all need. We need your grace. We need your kindness and your love. Without it, we are nothing. We are destroyed. And so I pray that as we just spend time examining your word, that you would show us who you are so that we can respond by the power of your spirit and in keeping with the way that you made us to live. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Few things in life are as emotionally charged and mysterious as our relationship with our Father. For some of you, even the mention of that word, Father, is almost too much to bear. It's too painful to think about. The interactions that I've had with my own father, both pleasant and painful, fill my childhood memories, and I see those memories, those experiences, seeping into the way that I interact with my own children. Uh, There's something about that father-child dynamic that shapes and kind of tinkers with the very center of our souls and who we are. And, And I speculate that there is a very simple reason why that is. It's because the person who sent the planets spinning into space is himself, as the Apostle Paul describes him in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, the one God and Father of all. He reminds the philosophers on uh, the, the hill in Athens that we are all his offspring. And what I mean is that there is a being from whom all other beings owe, uh, to, to whom all other beings owe their existence. And not only this, but he is a being who desires to be a father in fellowship with those human creatures that he has created. And it's for this reason that many great works of literature or art or film have as their central theme this idea of the relationship between a father and a son. There's something in us that needs to find an identity as children of a wise and strong and generous and just father. It's also the fear and love and forgiveness and resentment that lies at the center of this father-son relationship that fuels Jesus greatest story. William Cooper, uh, the great 18th century hymn writer, called the parable of the prodigal son, quote, the most beautiful fiction that ever was invented. English novelist Charles Dickens agreed. He called it the finest short story ever written, and he cast his classic great expectations in its mold. Uh, The prodigal son, by the way, prodigal just means wasteful or extravagant, Uh, The prodigal son is a parable. It's a made-up story. It's not based on any true events, any real events, but it tells, I think, a deeper truth than you can find just about anywhere else because this is the story, if you think about it, the story of the heart of God, specifically as it relates to people like you and me. It's also a story with basically two acts, each of which centers on the father's interaction with his two sons, And so in order for us to really understand who God is and how he wishes to relate to us, we need to examine each of these sons one by one. And so 
Uh, notice with me in the first place from verses 11 through 24, a rebel's reversal. A rebel's reversal. Uh, you may have already noticed that Jesus' story uh, about this younger son does not appear out of the blue. If you're familiar with Luke's gospel, perhaps you know that it's actually the third of three stories. Uh, earlier in this chapter, we learned that the Pharisees and the scribes, basically the really righteous, religious people of the day, uh, they had a bone to pick with Jesus. They uh, maybe were, were following him around because they were intrigued by some of the things that he was teaching and maybe appreciated some of the things that he said. They resonated with them, but they had this one problem. They said, he receives sinners and eats with them. That's not okay. So Jesus, in order to answer their concern, launches into a story. He tells them about a shepherd with a hundred sheep. And he go, the shepherd's out there in the, in the pastures with the sheep, and then at night he brings them safely into the fold, and he counts his sheep, and, and he only counts 99 sheep. There's one missing sheep. And so what does he do? He doesn't say, well, hey, I'm glad. At least I didn't lose these 99. No, he leaves them safe in the fold, and he goes out, and he finds the lost sheep, and when he finds her, he rejoices. And then he tells another story about a woman with 10 coins. Uh, maybe these were the coins that her father had given her on the day of her wedding, as would have been the custom. I, I'm not sure. But one day, she's rooting around through her jewelry box, and she counts the coins, eight, nine. She's missing that tenth coin. And so she begins to look under the couch cushions and behind the dresser, and she cleans and she sweeps until finally she finds the lost coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices. Now, by this point, the, Jesus... Uh, his main idea, his main message, while sort of tongue-in-cheek, is clear. Why does he receive sinners and eat with them? Because it's God's joy to see the lost restored and to see the sinner forgiven and welcomed. When you find the lost sheep or the lost coin, you celebrate, and so it is with God. But then to really drive it home, Jesus offers up this third story. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and now a lost son. And it's not just the intellect that Jesus is after in this story, but our deepest affections. A man has two sons, and the younger son is about to break his heart. Notice that this young man's life has really three scenes or three movements in it. Uh, first of all, consider his rebellion. His rebellion. He goes to his father, and he essentially says something like this. Hey, Dad, you know how you're about to kick the bucket? And when you do, my brother and I get all your stuff. That's taking a little longer than I would like to see. How about you just cash me out now? So here's a young man who, instead of living for the future, investing in the future of his family, he wants to live in the present. Instead of pleasing and honoring his father, he wants to please himself. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like anybody that you know? Have you ever met anybody like that? Somebody who sleeps in a bed that his daddy built for him wakes up every morning for years and years in daddy's house and wears the clothes and shoes that mommy bought for him at the store, drives around a car that his parents gave him, lounges around on the couch that belongs to them, and never stops to think that everything he has came to him, not because he is a special little snowflake who earned it, but because of the generosity and the compassion and the love of mom and dad. And one day he feels like he's a big shot who's lived with daddy's rules for long enough, and he goes to him, and he walks into the living room, and he says, more or less, I wish you were dead so that I could have your stuff. I mean, that's, 
You don't want to be that person. But friends, this is what we do to God. Here we are living on God's earth, breathing God's air with lungs that God made, eating food that God invented, taking in the sights that God painted into creation. And it's like we, we, we take the wealth that he allows us to enjoy. We like that wealth. We love the stuff. We enjoy the pleasures of life and the relationships, and we want more of what the world has to offer, but we'd rather have all of that without him here. Now, in spite of the offense... The father goes along with it. He sells some land or he transfers some funds out of his IRA or something and he divides up his property and he writes his son a big check and the young man leaves and heads out to the big city with a pocket full of daddy's money. Can you imagine being on the other end of this? You're a bookie or a brothel owner and you see this wide-eyed country bumpkin walk into the club and he's flashing a very thick wad of cash. And what are you going to do? You're going to make yourself a new friend, right? Hey, I could show you a good time. Hey, you look like the kind of guy who can recognize a valuable investment. Come on, under my wing. And in just a few weeks of drinking and partying and prostitutes, the father's fortune is gone. The man squanders his wealth in loose living. All of a sudden, his fancy new friends who had thought, have found him so interesting, they don't really care about him anymore, and they leave. They're out of the picture, and he spends a couple of nights out in the street, and he doesn't have anything left to spend, but the world still has more to take. So after he squanders his wealth, he finds himself in slavery to one of the citizens of that country. And, and this man is a cruel master. He doesn't care about this kid. He just sees free labor. And so the work grinds him down, and very quickly he moves from squandering, from slavery, a step further down the rung as he wades through the squalor of the pigsty. Uh, by the way, to a Jewish listener to this story, that would have been especially heinous. Not only were pigs considered literally unclean, but also ritually impure. And so he goes from squandering to slavery to squalor, and finally to the point of starvation. He longs to be fed with the slop that the pigs are eating. Folks, we've come to a place in our society where that word sin is almost meaningless anymore. I mean, it's like a silly word. It's almost a joke. It's a, it's a dead metaphor that stands for something we really enjoy. Oh, this brownie is just sinful, right? And we come to a, a church or a Sunday school, and you open your Bible, and you hear a preacher get up and talk about sin, and you think, oh, brother, give me a break. Like, who cares about sin anymore? I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't embezzled millions of dollars. Get over it. Give me a break. But what we fail to see is that sin eventually takes us right down the very path that this younger brother has taken. God's given you, folks, an intellect, a personality. He's given you a, a measure of wealth and resources, a, 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 a good education, maybe even good looks. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But folks, in all seriousness, instead of using those things that God has given us to have fellowship with the Father and bring him the glory that he deserves, what do we do? We say thank you very much and we take all those things and we go out and we squander them on the things of this life. You think you're going to be free, but then you end up living in slavery. 
You cover yourself in squalor and filth and you lie awake at night and you think, I cannot believe I did that. I never thought that I would have to ask forgiveness for that. And when you've squandered it all and you're in slavery to sin and you're covered in squalor, your heart is left empty and you're starving. This, folks, is what sin does. It wastes us away. It covers us with filth. It shackles us in slavery. And it leaves us with this gaping hole in our hearts, a hole that should have been filled with the joy of, of knowing the love of God. And all of that just a precursor to judgment, folks. And that's what we find with this younger brother. But he doesn't stay there for long. Consider not only his rebellion, but secondly, his repentance his repentance. He recognizes his condition in verse 17. He says, how many of my father's servants have more than enough to eat, but here I am starving. That recognition is followed by remorse. You can tell he's a broken man. Listen to what he says to his father. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But in spite of what he recognizes and in the midst of his remorse, he actually has the, the boldness and the temerity to, to go home and actually make a request. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and he does. I imagine this young man's heart is accusing him all the way home. When you get home, what do you think your father's going to say? You think he's just going to pretend you didn't do what you just did? And some of you have been there with your own father. And you know what it's like to think, when I get home, I am dead meat. Some of you have been that father or that mother sitting alone in the dark in the, in the living room in your armchair and waiting for your child to come home. I remember wondering what was going to happen to me one late night in October 2004 Folks, I wasn't the type of person to get in a lot of trouble. I maybe got one or two detentions when I was in high school. If that, I was a good student, no accidents or speeding tickets, worked part-time on campus to help with tuition. I volunteered at church. One day, I was leaving class, and there was an RA, a, you know, one of the student leaders at the doorway. As I walked out of class, he says, come with me. So we walk up to the dean's office, something my friends and I had done a couple of weeks before in a moment of youthful silliness had gained the attention of the administration, and they did not think it was as funny as we had at the time. So, you know, the, the dean sat me down, and he gave me a good stern talking to, and I said, yes, I agree. And I left, and I thought that was that, but that wasn't that. To my shock, I was once again summoned, this time not to the dean's office in the middle of the day, but to an empty room in the first floor of our dorm at about 11.30 at night, where I was informed that I had been expelled from school and that my friends and I had two days to gather our belongings and leave the campus. And the meeting concluded after midnight. I walked up the stairs to my hall on the third floor of the Brokenshire Men's Dormitory. I walked over to the window at the end of the hall, and I pulled out my flip phone and leaned on the windowsill, and I just stared at the buttons. Like, I'm just cycling through. How can I avoid calling my dad right now? But there's no other way. So I pick up the phone, and I call my dad, and I say, Dad, I just got shipped. Can you come and get me? Now, fair enough. In hindsight, I wasn't calling from a jail cell or the emergency room 
but calling my dad to tell him I had screwed up. That the money that I had worked so hard that summer to earn to help to pay for tuition, that the money that my grandmother had graciously given to me to make up the difference so that I could return to school that semester, all of that was gone. That he was going to have to call into work the next day and drive the 12 hours from Bucks County, Pennsylvania to Greenville, South Carolina. That he would have to explain this to my mother. That remains one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, folks. Because in that moment, I wondered, what is my dad going to do when I get home? I let him down. I shamed him. I embarrassed him. I woke him up in the middle of the night to say that his son was a failure. In the exhaustion and the shock and the emotion of that moment, I literally didn't know what he was going to do. Listen. In your moments of brokenness, you might be tempted to try and, and, and find some way to avoid facing your father. To avoid his righteous gaze, to somehow hide yourself because you know that what he sees, what he really sees, what you have become, what you've squandered his gifts on, how you've enslaved yourself to sin, how you've sat in the squalor and the filth, and how your heart is just starving for the satisfaction that this world cannot bring to you. He's going to see all of that. He's going to see your shame. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to face him. Friends, if you try to wait till you're better, you are never going to come. You have to arise and go to your father with all your filth and all your baggage, and he's going to see it all. Oh, yes. But you have to go, friends. There is no other way, because even if you wait till the end of your life, the day is going to come when you will be standing before him. And he's going to see it all then. Much better to go now. Now, of course, I'm a father myself now. And so I'm beginning to understand something that I didn't understand when I was a young man. And here's what I have learned. A father's love is strong. It's persistent. It doesn't want to give up. It comes from deep down inside. And that's what this younger man finds out. Notice not only his rebellion and his repentance, but the third scene in his story, his restoration. His restoration. We're told, Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. In the old King James Version, it says, he fell on his neck and kissed him. That word, by the way, uh, translated kiss, it means he kissed him over and over again. This is the forgiving fatherly love of God. He loved us while we were still sinners. Did you catch the timing? While the son was still a long way off, not after he came in the door and got on his hands and knees and begged and begged and begged. Not when he was on the front porch. Not after he arrived in the driveway. Not while he was still in the street out by the mailbox. But while he was a long way off, the father saw him and he felt compassion. And this is our God. He doesn't wait until we show him that we're really sorry. That we promise that we won't do it again. That we've cleaned up our act. No, while we were a long way off. He pursues us and goes after us. I, it wasn't I who crossed the great divide that separates me from the love of the Father. It was he. He's the one that sees us when we're a long way off and he goes after us. Notice as well the nature of his forgiving love. He's, it says he saw him and he felt compassion. 
In other words, his forgiveness overflowed out of his heart. Uh, You know, I, I used to think that, and sometimes still do, that God loved me because Jesus died for me. And I'm beginning to learn, friends, that is, that's exactly the opposite of what, what reality is. God doesn't love me because Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me because God loves me. His forgiveness isn't begrudging or bitter. He doesn't embrace us out of spite or because somebody twisted his arm. He forgives because he loves to forgive. And when the young man starts his little speech, the father doesn't even let him finish because, folks, the God and Father of all, he isn't like the fathers that you meet here on earth who say, okay, I guess I'll forgive you, maybe. No, it's his joy to forgive. What's my father going to do when I get home? Is he going to kick me out? Is he going to spit and stomp and yell? Is he going to ground me? Is he going to shame me in front of everybody? the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you return to him, you know what he wants to do? He wants to throw a party. There's more rejoicing in heaven among the angels over the return of one lost soul than just about anything else. You know why that is? It's because the God who created the earth made it for this very reason that the human beings that he made in his image might share his character and his glory and praise him and have fellowship with him forever. And when we ran away, when we squandered it all, when we were slaves to sin, when we were living in squalor and when we were starving for eternal joy, he went to the greatest, greatest lengths to bring us back so that he might share himself with us. He could have started over, folks. He could have wiped the slate clean and said, okay, that did not work out very well. I'm going to start off with a new humanity that maybe this one won't sin. That's not what he did. In order that every being in heaven and on earth might witness the glories of his grace, he did not start over. And while we were still a long way off, he ran in our direction. And our young friend got more than he ever hoped uh, he would receive. He was hoping to become like one of the servants in the household of his father so he could just have something to eat. I remember listening about a year ago to Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. preach from this passage. He pointed out the ironic reversals in the young man's life. He left his father so that he could wear cool clothes and impress all the ladies. But it wasn't until he returned that he got the best robe and a brand new pair of shoes and a golden ring. He left his father so that he could party on daddy's dime, but it wasn't until he returned that a full-on feast was thrown in his honor. He left his father so that he could live it up, but it wasn't until he returned that the one who was dead became alive again. He left his father because he wanted to find himself, but it wasn't until he returned that the lost became found. So friend, I have a question for you. How long are you going to run from the father? How long are you going to waste all the gifts he's given to you on that which is going to leave you starving in the pigsty? How long will you be a slave to sin? How long are you going to stay away because you're afraid to look at your filth and you certainly don't want him to see it? How about letting today be the day when you say, 
I will arise and go to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to wait until I have all the answers. I'm not going to wait until I've cleaned up my life, until I've turned over a new leaf. No, I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm going to make today the day that I say, oh God, I have sinned against you and I'm not worthy to be called your child so that you can move from rebellion to repentance and be restored so that you might escape death and finally find life in the family of the Father. Oh, come to Christ today. Let today be that day. Of course, that's just one brother. Uh, Just the first act of Jesus' story, but consider with me not only the rebel's reversal, but also a religious response. A religious response. Now, there's a reason Jesus told three stories here. Remember who started this whole thing. It was the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, the perfect people who didn't need salvation. They didn't think they needed any repentance. I'm sure by now they're getting the point, and they might even be thinking, okay, that sounds commendable. I suppose I would be happy if I found my lost sheep or my lost coin. And what father hasn't had to show compassion toward a lost son? I guess I can relate to this. But Jesus isn't done. And this third story has a little twist that's going to hit the Pharisees right between the eyes, and it might hit you right between the eyes today as well. Notice that while all this is taking place in Jesus' story, there's another brother. Where's he at? He's in the field. He's working. He's been working his fingers to the bone this whole time. While Junior is out partying, he's been waking up early every morning, going out, working through the heat of the day every day. And so on this particular day, he's been out plowing and and we're we're planting in the fields. He's been engaged in this back-breaking work. And after a long shift, he begins to make his way back to the house where he lives with his father. And as he's walking back, he begins to hear this faint pulsing sound, you know. (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) Somebody's playing music. And And he gets to the top of the hill and he looks down and there's all these cars in the driveway. What? People walking around carrying drinks, giving each other hugs. They're dancing. And then he gets a little closer and he smells the roasting meat. And so he says to the servant, go find out what's going on. The guy comes back. He says, hey, your brother's come and he's home. He's, your father received him safe and sound. And so he started partying and he's grilling ribeyes on the grill right now. And this guy, covered in the sweat and the dirt of an honest day's work, he is just livid. And never once, never one time has his father even so much as given him a young goat to slaughter. And now he's making all these choice cuts of meat. They're partying like he wasn't even there. And you know what else? That calf that he killed, that was his calf. I mean, the brother took all of his inheritance already, so the rest of daddy's stuff belonged to the older brother. And he was so angry, he refused to go in. You know, those Pharisees were religious people, and a lot of religious people, they do not like grace. They don't like to see somebody else shine. They don't like it when somebody else gets the blessing. They've been scraping, they've been serving, they've been reaching for that little morsel of the Father's favor, and it always seems just a little bit out of reach, and yet here comes along this guy who definitely doesn't deserve it. He's been living like the devil for years, and grace gets poured out on his head in abundance. They don't like stuff like that. And you know, it's not just religious people who don't like that kind of extravagant grace. Actually, most people don't like that. 
Go out of your, try this. Go out of your way to do something nice for your spouse, something really, really nice, like something over-the-top nice for your spouse, and then tell your buddies about it. You know what they're going to do? Outside, on the outside, they're going to say, yeah, good job, you did it. On the inside, they're thinking, okay, oh, great, this guy's making us look really bad. No, people don't like it when love gets poured out on somebody else. They want it to be a trickle. They want you to show some moderation. In fact, this is one of the things that early Christians were criticized about during the first few centuries of the church. Uh, for example, a Roman orator by the name of Celsus had this to say about followers of Jesus. He said their injunctions are like this. Let no one educated, no one wise, no one sensible draw near. For these abilities are thought to, by us to be evils. But as for anyone ignorant, anyone stupid, Anyone uneducated, anyone who is a child, let him come boldly. Those who summon people to the other mysteries make this preliminary proclamation. Whosoever has pure hands and a wise tongue, whosoever is pure from all defilement, whose soul knows nothing of evil, such are the preliminary exhortations of those who promise purification from sins. But let us hear what the, these folk, the Christians, say. Whosoever is a sinner, they call Whosoever is unwise, whosoever is a child, whosoever is a wretch, the kingdom of God will receive him. Why on earth this preference for sinners? Have you ever had a thought like that? Like Indian Creek? You know who goes there? You know who's a member of that church? If that's the kind of person that they have at that church, count me out. I know her. I went to high school with her. Are you kidding me? I used to work with that guy. I know exactly what he's like. Trust me, he's no saint. I think you're so holy. I pay my bills. I work 70 hours a week. I volunteer. I coach kids sports. What are you all doing? I, I take care of my mother and my father. You know how much I paid in taxes last year? That guy over there, he's been divorced twice, and he says, God loves me. I've been married to the same woman for 40 years. We all do this sort of thing, don't we? we? We build our life. We build our identity on the things that we have done. We rest in our education. We rest in our work ethic, our integrity, our consistency, our faithfulness over the years. We rest in our financial discipline, with, in our service to others. We rest in our heritage or our last name or our standing in the community. And we look out at all these younger brothers these people who just can't seem to get it together, and we think, that guy, that gal, what have they done to deserve the love of the Father? But folks, listen to me. It's all these things, these things that you are proud of, that you've built your life on, these things that you put in the pro column, these are the very things, folks, that will keep you from joining the party. These are the things that are going to keep you far from God. And there you stand, angry and bitter and resentful toward the God and Father of all. And you think, well, I've always, I've always done right by people. I've always paid my own way. And so here's the twist for you. Here's the part we don't expect. Remember, Jesus tells three stories. A shepherd seeks a lost sheep and rejoices when she's found. A woman seeks a lost coin and rejoices when it's found. And in the third story, a father seeks the prodigal son, right? 
Is that what happens? The wasteful son, the one that goes out, did he seek him? No. Don't miss the details. Don't miss the twist here. The prodigal son, that wasteful son, he comes back of his own accord in Jesus' story. The father doesn't have to seek him. Who does the father leave the house to seek? I mean, you can read it right there in the text. Is it the prodigal son? No. This is what is amazing about the lavish love of God. Which son is it that he goes out of the house to seek? It's the older son. It's the self-righteous, bitter, angry son. He leaves the party for you, sir, who rests on his hard work. He leaves the party for you, madam, who rests on her service to others. Friend, even you who are so bitter and angry, who are so resentful towards your neighbor, who think you're actually better and more deserving of the love of God, he leaves the party to come after you. Jesus leaves it open-ended in his story. We don't know if the older brother went back into the party or not. The vast majority of these Pharisees, for whom the story was intended, just couldn't bring themselves to get the message that God's fatherly love is the love of grace and undeserved forgiveness, and they refused to come to the party. And, And folks, I'm just begging you this morning, please, don't stay outside. Don't stay outside. Receive the love of the Father. I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ would go on from this story. He would live the perfect life that we could never live. And he went on to die a criminal's death, the death that you and I deserve to die. And he would rise from the dead so that all who believe might be rescued from judgment. And, and, and so that both the rebel and the self-righteous might be welcomed into the family of God in Christ. And so I want to speak to both types of people today, whether you're a younger son or an older son, whether you're a rebel or a self-righteous person. And I want to just say, come into the Father's embrace. Receive the Father's love that he's shown to you in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like that wasteful son who took the gifts and squandered them, but you say, I, 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 and you've said, I don't want you, God. I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. And you've squandered it and you've been stuck in slavery and you're filthy and you're starving. And I want to tell you that you can return to the Father today. It's his joy to receive you back to himself. To call out to him and say, oh God, I'm not worthy to be called your child, but please forgive me. And to find rest in the love of God in Christ towards sinners who believe. Maybe, folks, you're here today because someone sort of dragged you here, but you're thinking, you know what, I don't need that. I'm a hard worker. I'm a good person. Friend, all that stuff is keeping you from just receiving the grace of the Father. And I want to invite you to lay aside your pride and say, you know what, all this stuff that I've said is gain to me, all the stuff that I thought was part of my identity that I've built up, I'm going to leave it here on the ground and I'm going to walk in and I'm going to join the party. I'm going to receive the grace of the Father because I need it today. Folks, stop running, stop resisting, stop resenting, return and receive the love of God in Christ. Would you pray with me now? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this beautiful picture of your love that you have shown in Christ towards sinners who do not deserve it, Father. We certainly stand before you in that category today. Lord, I pray as your spirit is working, 
that you would prevent the strategies of the enemy from taking root. That you would cause your word to be planted in the soil of our hearts. And that you would bring about new life today. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.